welcome to Canucks After Dark. Here are your hosts, Parker Hallowell and Clay Emo. Good evening, Vancouver, and welcome back to Canucks After Dark here on Monday, January 17th in the tail end of a rough road trip for the Vancouver Canucks that uh, sees them with a, a nice win yesterday after playing against basically three of, and then four of the best teams in the NHL. Uh, but they will come home later on this week as they are uh, hanging on for dear life. As always, joined by my co-host, Canuck Clay. How are you doing this week, Clay? Parker, I'm doing great. I hope you are as well. Uh, we were both a little bit too optimistic, it turns out, with our predictions. But before we talk about that in the games, how did you find that? How did you choose that picture for our YouTube thumbnail? For those of you that saw this on YouTube, that's that's a pretty sweet picture. Yeah, I don't remember where I saw it. It was I don't think it was even on I honestly don't remember. I I got it just popped up. Oh, I was searching, I was searching for Canucks photos from the last 24 hours to use in the thumbnail, and yep. that one popped up. And I was like, all right, we'll take it. Uh, so you didn't photo. type in Demko knocking himself out with sel- uh, smelling salts or anything. No, like no, I didn't search for that, but it's a it's an excellent photo. Uh, one that I will continue to use in the future. Love it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like I said, Canucks have played four games this week. We'll spend a little bit of time reviewing those. Uh, quite a bit of stuff going on this week as some rumors start to swirl. You know, Jim Rutherford did say that this was going to be sort of the litmus test for this team was this road trip. Uh, so we'll give our thoughts on these games so far and, and what we think will end up happening. Um, and then we'll talk about the games coming up this week as we uh, as we tend to do. Uh, anywhere you want to get started today? Well, I know you know me. I'm pretty boring. I like to go chrono- chronologically, and that takes us way back, I guess, to the very first game of this crazy five-game road trip, which was Tuesday, which wasn't a fun one. Uh, that was the <laughs> Canucks and the Panthers. Florida taking that game five to two, um, and it was an interesting one to kick off the road trip, and it was a frustrating one to me because it was a game that felt like the Canucks sort of stuck with it. Um, where they, they seem to be, you know, fairly the better team. They outshot Florida, I think, in all three periods. Uh, maybe not the third, I don't remember. Um, but they played well, and they lost because Demko had a bad night. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think a common theme, except for yesterday's win, but Demko, he's not the reason we lost, Parker, but he didn't steal any games. And you... Uh, you kind of can't expect him to steal games against the three best teams in the entire league almost. But um, but yeah, he was kind of more regular Demko as opposed to crazy Demko. Yeah, I I, I think he had, you know, the Canucks outshot, outshot Florida 44 to 26 in this game. And the issue mm. was that they just couldn't score. Uh, they, they get two goals from bottom of the lineup guys, Jason Dickinson and John Pond, who we mentioned last week, uh, <laughs> Yuho Lamico. Uh, but they only allow 26 shots, but they allow five goals, uh, including one of the power play and one shorthanded special teams woes galore there. Um, but it was really, it really was some foreshadowing as it showed, you know, the Canucks just weren't scoring goals when they needed to there they had issues with their depth contributing at times now they're having issues with their top six contributing their top nine contributing really uh and they're just not able to get everything to click at once here yeah good points parker and that was the game where florida scored in bunches in the first period they scored a minute two goals a minute six apart and then in the second period even worse they scored 26 seconds apart so you can't do that against any team let alone the best team in the league and their big guns exactly were, were going Barkov and Reinhardt and Huberdo and Ekblad. Whereas, yeah, we were relying on Dickinson and our fourth line and then Brad Hunt to be our leading scorer that night of all people. Right. Yeah. Brad Hunt with two <laughs> big second assists. Uh, good for him, at least getting on the score sheet. But yeah, it was a game where, you know, nothing could nothing was getting through. It was a game that Sergei yeah. Bobrovsky kind of stole. Uh, and that's, you know, that's that's sort of his M.O. But uh, Demko didn't do them any favors in that one, you know, allowing five goals and 26 shots. Uh, the, the top nine couldn't get anything going. Yeah. Uh, it just felt like it wasn't meant to be that night. And it's frustrating because you look at those, uh, you look at games like this and you say, you know, we're kind of past the point of moral victories. Uh, mm. the Canucks are too, too far out of it for moral victories at this point, right? Uh, yeah. games where you go in and you outplay your opponent, whether or not they're, you know, one of the top teams in the NHL, maybe the best team in the NHL right now. Um, you need to pull out those wins when you get the opportunity to, and they weren't able to do that, which, uh, which was frustrating. Yeah. And they, 
you're right. They they outplayed. They didn't dominate the Panthers, but they they certainly hung with them and they they out uh, them in a few things. More shots, better face off, more hits. But then I, I guess and uh, one positive you could take is after the big twelve or thirteen day layoff, whatever it was. And of course, they're practicing. It's not like they had twelve days off. But at least they they skated well. They were working hard. So you can't blame their effort. You can't blame even their their work rate, their skating. They just ran up against a very, very talented and very fast team. That's the one thing I noticed, Parker, too, especially uh, people are saying that Florida and Carolina are the same. They play really fast, where Tampa and Washington are the same or similar, where they play more heavy. And um, we don't do well against fast teams. I think that was painfully obvious to see. Right. Yeah. One, one thing I like to look at is just sort of, you know, expected goals, right? Mm. It's, it's always a, it's an interesting metric to look at. The Canucks were at 61.5% that night, which is really high, right? If mm. you're, if you're expected to score 61.5% of the goals in a night, you know, high danger chances were 19 to 12 in all situations in favor of the Canucks. Wow. Uh, they just weren't able to, uh, to convert. And uh, a similar story two days later, as they go into Tampa Bay. Yes. Now, about a minute ago, I was talking about the difference between Florida and Tampa. What was fascinating, Parker, is watching all these games back to back to back. Florida, Tampa, and Carolina, three of the best teams, not just in the East, but in the entire league. It's kind of fascinating to see. A lot of people think Florida is the best and they will do the best. Some people are saying Tampa, just not coasting, but they know when to turn it up, how to turn it up in the playoffs. And I kind of agree with that. And Carolina is kind of the the team that people either love to love or love to hate given all their little goofiness and stuff. But Tampa, yeah, this is another game where we played well, uh, again, didn't dominate, but hung with them, but Tampa's just a tough team. They're so talented all over the place. They're, they're scary to me. To me, they're more scary than Florida. I don't know about you, but that to me, they are. Yeah. They've got the cachet for sure, yeah. uh, which definitely helps them uh, shots in this one, 26, 21. And again, it's, it's the Canucks not converting, right? Hmm. Uh, 26 shots. Isn't enough. Like that's it's that simple, but they held the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions to 21 shots. That's something to to hold high, and that's with uh, the Tampa Bay blocking 11 more shots than the Canucks did. So the Canucks <laughs> were at least throwing pucks in the net. But you look at the guys who scored for Tampa Bay: Steven Stamkos, Anthony Sorelli, Braden Point, being three of the names there. You look at the two guys who scored for the Canucks. You have Matthew Highmore, uh, great shot, but I mean it's Matthew Highmore. He shouldn't yep. be the guy having to score the goals. And Tyler Mott, again, beautiful goal going through Amazing. his own legs. Uh, but the the fact that is that you have Brock Besser with one shot, Connor Garland with one shot. No Canucks forward had more than two shots that night. Uh, mm. And that was the big sort of thing that stood out for me is Oliver ekman Larson had five of the Canucks 26 shots, right? Like he was yeah. basically the only one putting pucks on net. Um, and, you know, because of that, again, they're just not able to convert enough. They allow a couple too many goals, um, especially special teams wise. Uh, and it bites them again. And I'm glad you mentioned the special teams, Parker, because for all three losses, we saw a very similar trend. The Canucks went 0-4 on their power play, yet they allowed one power play goal by the opposition in each of those three games. So I know we'll get to that in a second. And the other thing is, do you remember when John Tortorella was talking about David Booth one night after a Canucks loss? And he said, David Booth was our best player, which is good for David Booth, but not good for us kind of thing. Yeah, um, you could say that about the fourth line. It, when the fourth line of Lamico, Highmore, and Mott, despite their beautiful goals, when they are your best line, that's great for those three guys, but it's not really great for the entire team. No, it's uh, <laughs> it isn't good enough. And again, I mean, we can look at this game analytically. Uh, yeah. If you look at expected goals, it shows that Tampa Bay is higher, but that's because empty netters add a full goal, basically, of expected goals because uh, oh. they go in 100% of the time, if it's a shot on net at least. Um <laughs> So on that one, uh, the graph actually is in the Canucks' favor, then it spikes into Tampa Bay's favor. Um, if we were to look at this one five on five, I think it excludes that. Yeah, the Canucks had about 54% uh, percent of expected oh, wow. goals. So again, the Canucks being, in theory, the, the better team on the ice. And, and you know, we can look at other things like high danger chances were, were pretty even, being 11 to 12, right? Basically mm -hmm. even. Um, Corsi 60 shot attempts to 38. Like I mentioned, Tampa Bay blocked a lot more shots. Uh, but again, the Canucks go up against these excellent teams. They stick with them, but then there's still those excellent goalies in Sergey Bobrovsky and Andre Vasilevsky that they just can't get pucks through. Yeah. And not to say that, you know, Gibson's not a good goalie or whatever, but 
you saw the difference when we were winning games against the Anaheim, Seattle's, Winnipeg's of the world, who all actually have good goalies when you think about it, Grubauer, Hollebuck, and, and Gibson. But the rest of their team is so much better when you get to Florida, Tampa, Carolina. So uh, it, it was fun to watch the Canucks go rattle off seven straight under Bruce Boudreau, but then it wasn't so fun to watch them lose three straight. So as always, we like to say, Parker, maybe the truth is in the middle somewhere. We're not as good as that team that rat, you know rattled off eight and nine, but we're not as bad. Because you got to see who these three losses were against. So, you know, moderation is key, I guess. Is the mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, there's definitely a lot of context there because I do mm-hmm. think, you know, the, the Canucks were, if not the better team, at least even with those first two games. And But, you know, you look at the other teams that have gone through the same gauntlet, right? Calgary yeah. is the most recent example, and they got crushed all around, not just on the scoreboard, but also analytically, uh, which might bode well, you know, for the Canucks' chances. Uh, but they, they aren't done with this road trip um, yet. Uh, just before and, we get to Carolina, sure. I just want to, Jaskarin's uh, comment, Patrick, Stefan, you know, you're talking about hundred percent of the shots you take on an empty net go in. Well, Stefan technically didn't get a shot off. He was lo- lollygagging, yeah. whatever the word is. I don't him. think that would have counted because uh, <laughs> I don't think it was a shot technically. Uh, that was funny. That was pretty funny actually. <laughs> but yes, um, in Carolina, then the Canucks needing to, to get something going. And uh, this wasn't a great game. Th- this was the Canucks' worst game of the road trip, uh, yeah. I think, is is fairly fair to say. Um, on the expected goals side, again, I like that, about 45%. So they're lowest analytically. Uh, they get outshot. They get outchanced. Uh, they basically get outplayed. And this is the game that uh, was, I mean, I was listening to Halford and Bruff this morning where they basically call it rock bottom for Elias Pettersson at that one moment where uh, he sort of missed the shot Yep. sulked towards the net, got tripped into the boards, face first into the boards. And uh, it was, it sort of encapsulated those last three games. <laughs> Parker, I'm giggling because I know you play ice hockey. I'm guessing, and I, I play roller hockey. I'm not even good enough to play ice hockey and I'm not barely good enough to play roller hockey. But I know that if my stick breaks or more likely if my stick, I can't find it or whatever, I will beat uh, you know make a beeline to the bench and you either get a new stick or someone else more likely will replace me it's almost like because pd was so almost sulking nonchalantly coasting behind the net that anderson who has every right to try and play the puck it was just a little little poke check not even and then and pd goes flying on the boards you're right it was just such a unfortunate but telling moment for him yeah and uh it didn't look great in this game uh Horvat gets the lone Canucks goal another again a great goal but once again the Canucks get no offense going 31 shots mm-hmm. um statistically they had uh 13 high danger chances expected goals rate around 3 2.9 mm-hmm. uh and again they're just running into to goalies that they can't beat uh and it's yeah. not again it's not like they're giving themselves excellent chances but Frederick Anderson was really good that night uh and the Canucks you know it's it's just special teams here, right? The Canucks yep. go 0 for 5 on the power play. On those five power plays, they get five shots on goal total. That's bad. Which is terrible. Um, meanwhile, on those five power plays, Carolina had four shots <laughs> on goal. <laughs> so shots were almost even while the Canucks were on the power play. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the reason that they lose that game. Yeah, and, and Hunt uh, struggled that game. That's probably why we saw Burroughs come in for him yesterday. And uh, you know, you're not you're not worried about Brad Hunt making being the biggest difference maker, but he was making some weird pinches, man. He was uh, just like Burroughs was against Ovechkin yesterday. But yeah, Hunt was making some weird pinches. And the other thing, um, I know we talked about PD's unfortunate sequence of events, but that was just a few minutes after he took a skate to the face from a teammate, Pod Colson. Right. So it was a really rough period for PD for sure. Yeah. And then, so the Canucks going 0-3 at this point on the road trip, they're getting to the point where 0-5 is on the table. And and that's (laughs) scary uh, because going 0-5 on the road trip basically ends it. Uh, They go into Washington yesterday morning on a back-to-back. Washington also on a back-to-back at least, which is uh, at least some benefit. Shout out to the schedule makers for (laughs) making it at least fairly even. But Washington, one of the best teams in back-to-backs in the NHL. They showed a stat during that game that, that showed that. Uh, and they come out, and once again, they play better, and they're able to score goals. The top six actually comes through. 
with four of their main guys who need to score goals, uh, or I guess three of them for their four goals, scoring the goals, uh, and they're able to get out of that slide and uh, and hopefully regain their footing uh, before the game tomorrow. Yeah, and I, we'll we'll save our PD talk. I know we we have a complete yeah, its own a PD has its own segment coming up in a little bit, but uh, obviously those goals were nice to see. Interesting the the special teams. Yeah, we we scored two on the power play, but we also give up two, not just one, but two to the Washington Capitals. I get I get it. They have Ovechkin, they have Backstrom, they have uh, Wilson, they have well Carson was missing, but still they have a lot of offense there. But yeah, it was it's almost like a saw. We give up two power play goals, but we scored two power play goals. So if you call the special teams even, then then the Canucks did play well on other uh, areas of the ice for sure. Yeah, and and it was a, a comeback game for Thatcher Demko having to play back to back nights, stopping uh, thirty one of thirty three, which is mm-hmm. is very good. Uh, Ovechkin gets a little bit close to the record. That was nice to see. <laughs> At least the Canucks won. You know, if, I, if the Canucks are going to win, I like to see Ovechkin scoring some goals. And this was the comeback game a bit for Elias Pettersson, right? Scoring yeah. the two goals. Um, the first one being, you know, uh, sort of vintage, right? Um, Someone had posted the goal that he scored like two years ago, almost the exact same goal. Hmm. Um, and it was on the Canucks subreddit and people in the comments were like, man, too bad. That's never happening again. Then the next day he goes out and does the exact same thing, which was great. <laughs> um, and then he gets another one where he banks it off the goalie's back, uh, which is excellent. Um, Horvat scores again, a power play yeah. goal. Uh, and then Miller ices it uh, with the empty netter. Great play by Besser on that one, by the way, um, yeah. winning the race to the icing playing it out front and the Canucks survive it. And, uh, you know, a chance to get two wins out of this road trip. If they go against Nashville and win it, I think that'd be a pretty successful trip, right? Where Mm -hmm. the Canucks would have been the better team in most of the games and, you know, getting four points in five games against, you know, these teams that they're against would be a major success. Yes. And context, as you said, context is key Parker, because let's say we beat Nashville then you're coming home to play against a good Florida team again on a two-game win streak. Imagine if you won the first two but lost the next three. Then you're thinking, oh, no, here we go, riding a three-game losing streak. So, yeah, if we can win tomorrow night and come back two and three, that's okay against the five of the top whatever teams, six or eight teams, and you're riding a two-game win streak. So um, there's still hope. There's still optimism. And uh, maybe we shouldn't have expected much more than – two if not three wins but uh the other thing yeah. i was gonna say really quickly about pd2 uh, is um you know how you you made the good point about besser beating out the icing and finding jt miller pd had a chance some were saying oh i need to go for the hat trick he made a really smart play actually a very unselfish play instead of trying to do a wraparound and maybe lose the puck on the empty net and have it go the other way and be caught out of position he actually tried to freeze the puck behind the net granted it was against mm-hmm. tom wilson so he wasn't going to win that battle yeah still a really good play by him actually really smart unselfish play Yep. Yeah. He had a good game last night and I had, yeah. I had, or not last night, I guess yesterday morning, uh, <laughs> I had people in the thing be like, Oh man, why are you, why are you ex- like happy that like excited about PD? He's it's one game. I saw like, that. Well, yeah. well, what could he do? Right. He can only, he can only play well in the one game you give him. If we're going to give him grief for how bad he has been playing, which is mm-hmm. fair, then we can at least give him credit where it's due. When he comes out, gets a couple of goals uh, and looks a little bit more like himself, um, you know, at worst, you know, it's, it's a one-off that won the Canucks a game, yeah. uh, at best it's a building block that he can, uh, come back from. And Parker, isn't it funny how, uh, you know, this as a live streamer and content creator, as I do up until yesterday, it was, Oh, what's wrong with PD? What, you know, bench him or, or, you know, set him down. No, of course not, but do something. And then he does something. Oh, why are you giving him so much praise? Why? Yeah. It's just one game. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've tried to stay in the middle on Patterson the whole yeah. season, right? I've said the entire time, like, yeah, he's not playing well. No, I don't think his career is over. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I think I think he's right now he's not playing well, yeah. uh, and he hasn't played well for the last year, basically. If we talk, if we're talking the calendar, um, but I mean, we still have a lot of uh, a lot of tape on him being excellent yeah. and being one of the best players in the NHL uh, as a rookie. Uh, yeah. so if he can bounce back to that, I mean, there's precedent for, it. it's not like we're just dreaming that one day he'll become this player. He's been this player before. Uh, and I, I think, you know, we can at least, uh, hope for that. Great point. And, uh, I was saying it in one of my streams yesterday too, that, um, 
people are saying, is PD out of a slump or does he still lack confidence? And I said, it's not an either or. It can still be a both and. Yeah. He can be working his way out of a slump, yet still finding his confidence. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think, hopefully, that'll ring true. He's going to continue to build his confidence and obviously uh, break his way out of a slump. But we got to see it more than one game. But I'd rather have one game of, of great PD than no games, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, just to sort of wrap up this, this road trip so far, uh, yep. let's talk about the special teams a little bit. Cause that has been mm. the, the real issue for this team, right? Uh, still basically one of the worst penalty kills in the NHL. Uh, I don't have, let's see if I can get the number in front of me. Oh, they are the worst in the NHL still still. Yeah. 67.6% uh, on the penalty kills. So basically one out of every three results in a goal against. Oh. Uh, and all four of these games, the Canucks allow at least one power play goal in Florida. Power play goes one for three and they get a shorthanded goal as well. So just to add insult to injury um, <laughs> in Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay goes one for three on the yep. power play Canucks go zero for four. So they are. So keeping track Canucks are zero for seven on the power play and only four for six on the kill. Yep. They go 0 for five on the power play the following game and, and allow Carolina to score one on only two chances. Mm-hmm. So that brings the Canucks to 0 for 12 while their opponents have three goals uh, against them. And, and the Canucks, yeah, yeah. and then the Canucks go two for four on the power play yesterday, which is really good, but the Capitals go two for two. So this is an entirely different game. If the Canucks have more penalties, if they can't stay out of the box um, and, they kind of they get lucky a little bit that they only get two uh, that Washington only gets two opportunities because they convert on both of them and it could have been an entirely different game if you know in the second period if they get another power play goal you know we could be talking about uh, an Owen four uh, trip so far. So I think the rough numbers that you're doing and uh, we're trying to do in our head they went like two for what fourteen around there yeah Seven, and then they gave 12, up five, two yeah. for sixteen two for six and Maybe. they gave up five out of ten. That's not good. That's not good. That's really <laughs> bad. Uh, yeah, five out of ten. That's uh, that's rough. It's and it's not good enough, right? And it's it's the reason that they have lost the amount of games they have, right? If yeah. we take if we if we pull the stats up here, they've allowed something like I think it's like thirty eight goals uh, a game. They're basically a goal a game mm-hmm. uh, against on the penalty kill. Uh, but yeah. if we're talking, you know, if they're around eighty percent right then that's maybe like 10 12 less goals against that that could be five or six or seven or 10 points right yep. you know let's say a few of those games completely flip they force overtime and maybe they get a win in ot well, yep. well we're talking about a lot more points here uh and, and that has been really the the entire story here uh of the wow. season you know, and it's it's funny. We would talk about this on all of our shows back in October, November. Then we didn't talk about it for a bit in December when the Canucks were winning. And now, we given those numbers, we should probably talk about it really quickly. Quick fix to the power play. Is it simply shooting more, moving more? All those things we talked about, being more creative, getting the defense moving, getting the goalie moving, all those things. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the amount of shots they get, right? Yeah. Uh, that game against Carolina is a perfect example. They, got, they averaged one shot per power play while Carolina averaged almost one shot the other way on those power plays. <laughs> That's that it's just not, not enough chances, right? Uh, the game against uh, Tampa Bay, the Canucks go 0 for four on mm. the power play. Uh, I think they only had one shot on those four power plays. That's if bad. I'm looking at these stats, right? Which I, I think I am because his Vasilevsky only made one power play save. Uh, that's absurd, right? Um, it's uh, and it's, you know, they're just not getting chances. They're being a little slow out there. Uh, Boudreaux's trying to flip some things around, but I yeah. mean, I think uh, Shorty and Garrett made a really good point uh, talking about how this power play was back to playing like 95 seconds. Like power play one was playing 95 seconds, right? And then power play two would come out, basically not have time to do anything, and then the power <laughs> would be over. Um, when Boudreaux came in, it was like at the minute mark, you're switching and it's basically yeah. an even split and go as hard as you can for a minute and try to score. And it's an entirely different feel uh, this last week or so. Yeah, th- those are really good points. And we know that generally the Canucks do one of two things on the power play. It's either Hughes and Miller playing pass or it's trying to set PD up for the one-timer. However, we saw in their two goals, uh, 
PD didn't do one time where he pulled it back actually and moved to the middle a little bit, changed his angle and scored. And then the other goal was using Horvat in the bumper, which um, you know other, we've seen the other teams do really, really well. So there's a lot of ways that they can improve their power play for sure. What would you say about the penalty kill then? Because we're, we're not going to change the guys. We've basically tried every single guy out there. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards it being a personnel issue, right? Like yeah. at, at some point, these are the guys you have. Uh, they were the league worst penalty kill uh, on the previous regime. They are still the league worst penalty kill. The numbers haven't got better. They were better for a handful of games. And then this stretch has, has taken it back to that. Uh, yeah. And it's not like they've been against elite power plays, right? They've been against good ones. Uh, Washington's hmm. is pretty far down the totem pole, I think, um, which is kind of surprising when you see uh, who's on there, who's on that, who's on that unit. Um you know, uh, let's let's see if I can if I can find that really quick here. Sure. Florida Florida's is around twenty percent. Tampa Bay's is around twenty percent. Uh, Carolina's is twenty four. They they have a really good power play. Washington's is at fifteen point eight. Right, they're struggling. So they've been against pretty average power plays on average, uh, and they're you know clicking at fifty percent uh, this week, and and that's really going to give you a hard time um, in these games where. You know, we're, we're talking about games that could be decided by a goal most of the time. Yeah. I love Wolf Girl's comment from uh, to Carolina made the ice seem so small when Vancouver was on the power play. And it's so true. We, that's mm-hmm. what we talked about is Carolina's a much faster team. So Vancouver, I don't think even has the personnel to be that aggressive and that fast on the penalty kill because they don't have the wheels. And yeah, we saw it. We saw it for sure. Yeah, that is uh, that is yeah. a very fair point yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, I had one other thing I wanted to mention. Oh, I uh, I asked the uh, chat. I asked mm. a poll question. Uh, how would you grade the road trip so far? Uh, results on that one: sixty-six percent gave it a C, twenty-six percent a B, and the remaining seven percent a D. Um, so to round it up, game three of the games, the Canucks played well. Like I genuinely think the Canucks probably could have won three of those four games. Um, however, they only get one win. Where would you grade this road trip? Actually, I did vote. I'm not, am I allowed to vote as one of the co-hosts? Is sure. that okay? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. I did vote for C, not because it's the first letter of my name. I did vote for C as well because uh, A is excellent. No one's gonna say that B is considered very good. C is average, but covers everything. C plus to C minus, and D is very mm. poor. I think that the Canucks lose. It, it's basically every win. I think out of the four you would have given that letter grade, right? It takes four, right. uh, three wins, two games, one win and zero wins. So um, yeah, I think, um, I think C is, is fair, but they can bring it to a B minus with a win tomorrow. I think. Yeah. I'm kind of around that. Honestly, I'm, I'm around like a C plus, I think. Okay. Um, because they genuinely, I think could have won three of those games. I, I yeah. genuinely think they were the better team in Florida. They were the better yeah. team in Tampa and they were the better team in Washington. The yeah. results don't show it. Right. Um, yeah. And it depends sort of what you're focused on. If you're focused on playoff race, playoff race, playoff race, um, then, you know, the wins are the most important thing. But I, I think the fact that they went up against, you know, these teams, right? Four of the top teams in NHL and hung with them all, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, again, that Carolina game, I, I they probably deserve to lose. Um, but the other three <laughs> games, they they really hung with the, the scores won't tell you, right? Five, two, and four, two, look like pretty big differences. The Tampa Bay game had an empty netter. The Florida game, Demko had an off night. Uh, but I, I genuinely think that the Canucks h- hung with three of the best teams in the league. And I think, you know, we should give them some credit for that. Sure. I, I'm with you. And that, that can only, especially with the win tomorrow, as we talked about, it bumps up the letter grade. More importantly, gives them confidence coming back. Because guess what? They get to play Florida again. I know we'll get to that later. But mm-hmm. then after that, there, yeah, there's a tough St. Louis game. But then a few fewer lesser opponents at least two or three where at least they're not as high in the standing so and we know that they're they make up their games during february or at the end of the season or so, some combination of both we know we have a lot of home games to make up which is which is a good thing obviously mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um let's go into some other news around the mm-hmm. team a uh, little more rumory stuff because nothing has really happened lately right um but we do have the gm search continuing uh, with some names coming out uh today and i know you were a little more tuned into this than me but it seems like all is still sort of the name at the top of the list and was it saying that like we're expecting you know maybe something to come down the pipeline in the next week or yeah two? 
Elliot Friedman and Rick Dollywall, and every Monday Friedman is on Donnie and Dolly, so you, we get both of them. They were both talking about similar themes. And what Friedman said, Parker, he said that Alvin is still the front runner. Friedman said that someone this morning said, however, that Alvin is not a slam dunk, which is fair. That's really not saying much. But then Elliot Friedman doubled down and said, but usually in things like these, sometimes there's misinformation. Sometimes you're trying to get thrown off the scent for whatever reason. And usually you, when it comes to a hire, you, you kind of trust your first gut instinct. So his gut instinct and everyone he heard was about Alvin from the very start. But he also did say that it's not maybe five candidates, it's four. We, and he mentioned Alvin and Mellonby, Scott Mellonby by name. And then as we know, Sean Burke's name has come up recently, the former goaltender. And then Ryan Johnson is always in the mix because of his ties to Abbotsford and his role right now. So my guess, Parker, is those are the top four, although there's you know Jennifer Botterill's name out there as well. But yeah, it could be Patrick Alvin, and not just by the end of January, by the end of this week, perhaps. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting. And if yeah, you, you hear that, if you had to give me a feel. choice, if you had yeah. to give me a choice in those four names, yeah, I mean, give me Alvin, right? Uh, yeah. Just because I don't like the other three names uh, <laughs> that are that are options there, right? Uh, I, I'm not enthused about them. Um, if Botterill comes in on like an AGM role, which has sort of been, you know, one of the rumors. Yeah. I'd be all for that. I, I think that's a, you know, she's a very smart hockey mind, but I, uh, yeah, if we're talking about Mellonby and, and Burke, and I don't even remember who the last person was, uh, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. I, what is habits for, or I was heard, what has Utica done really? Like they haven't developed any Canucks yeah. over the last eight years, right? Like literally none. Maybe one. I think I saw a stat and it was like, yeah, one person has played like a meaningful amount of HL games that made the Canucks lineup. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just hasn't happened. Uh, yeah. so I know that he's well-respected around the league, but I mean, there, there just hasn't been much to show for it. So yeah. out of those names, I'll take the name that I don't really know much about because I'm just not enthused about the other three. Me too. Soja also is with you and me, Parker. He says, I wish we got the man's, um, uh, in, in, in McFarland. Is that, is that cool? slang for the man. yeah that's or, hip okay. now sure yeah <laughs> well, look at me. i don't think anyone's uh, yeah. confused me for uh, someone I, I who's think, hip i think we're all sort of uh along those lines right yeah. like we've all, we've been hearing all this great stuff about mcfarland being basically sackick's right hand man and i mean you look at the team they've built from being the worst team almost of all time uh <laughs> like five years ago to being yeah. this team that they have now which is you looked them up like 47 points or something right it was yeah ridiculous. yeah they're i mean that's what that's what montreal is pushing for right now um, you know, that is, that is Stanley cup contender of last year, Montreal, yeah. um, to go to, from that to basically, you know, the best team in the NHL or top three or top five mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, yeah, I definitely would have been, uh, all in on that. So Parker, if, if it is indeed Patrick Alvin, and then we have Derek Clancy, both former Pittsburgh guys, are you fine with that? Or do you, do you kind of, yeah. Are, are you fine with that? I'm okay with it. I don't love it. Um, I think if I think if you were going to go with a new name, I would have liked one that maybe had a bit more cachet, um, mm. like a McFarland, like a Tulski, you know, someone mm. who seems that everyone is hyping up, which I mean, whether, you know, there's got to be some sort of reason for that, right? Obviously, I don't know these people. Um, but you, you can look at track record, right? I mean, this is, this is a group that at least under Rutherford won three Stanley cups, right? Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. that speaks for itself. Um, sure. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin make that a lot easier. And one of the best goalies of the generation, Marc-Andre Fleury helps with that. Uh, and Chris Letang and all like they, but you still got to put the, the complimentary pieces together, right? You look in Edmonton, they have the best player maybe in the last, you know, 30 years. And maybe like a top five player <laughs> uh, yeah. as well. Um, and what are they doing? They're on a huge losing skid because they only have two players that can convert. Right. So it's not all about, you know, getting the first overall pick and, and picking a, a generational talent like Sidney Crosby or like Connor McDavid. It's what you do around them. Uh, yeah. And that's been the big difference maker between, you know, you look at Pittsburgh and they're still contending today. Uh, and you compare that to what Edmonton has been doing for the past, you know, however many years. Great, great point. McDavid and Dreisaitl, Crosby and Malkin, yet they had the Latangs and the, 
and the flurries, as you mentioned, and so many other players that we could go. Uh, Phil Kessel was there too. There's so many good players. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I saw in the chat. I think Alvin. Someone said that Alvin also has. Um, who was it? Jeff said that Alvin could be good. Definitely a long run in Pittsburgh as a scout than AGM. So yeah, he's uh he's paid his dues, so to speak. And um, I just like his name because you take out the V and it's all in, and that that sounds good to me. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go all in on this roster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You'll and be I, I, leaving the table pretty quick. I think. And I honestly, I think the thing I'm most enthused about is it, it hasn't been rushed. Right. Uh, everything that Jim Rutherford has sort of done so far has seemed to be uh, a big departure from the previous regime. Again, I have a lot of trouble trusting people after yeah. this last eight years. Um, but He's seemingly done most of the things right so far. Um, and uh, I mean, let's just, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's go for the ride, right? Yes. So you have trust issues now, Parker. I sure do. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about what that new GM is going to have to do because we're about, we're still about two months away from the trade deadline, which is a ways away. But now is around the time where, I mean, you look at the Eastern Conference, you know who's making the playoffs. Like there, yeah. there's like a, there's like an eight point gap between eighth and ninth. In the East. <laughs> like it is, it is based the teams. There, there's going to be some shuffling in order. The teams are basically set uh, for the playoff race in the East, barring some crazy run. Um, so there's some trade rumors getting picked up, right? Cause if you're on the East, if you're in the Eastern, you know, in the Eastern conference and you have Tampa, Florida, Toronto, Boston, uh, in the Atlantic and then in the Metro, mm -hmm. you have the Rangers, the Hurricanes, the Penguins and the Capitals, and then a huge drop off. Um, and on both sides, there's huge drop offs, right? You go from the Bruins at 46 points to the Red Wings at 41, five games played difference, by the way, in favor of the Bruins. They have way more games in hand. Uh, wow. And then it drops to 29 because Buffalo, you look at the Metropolitan fourth place is a, is a tie between uh, Pittsburgh and Washington. Fifth place is Columbus with 16 fewer points. Wow. So it's it's basically set the teams that are going to make the playoffs. So if you're those teams, you're starting to fight for seeding, right? Because you're thinking, I want to win my division, right? I want to go against uh, a wild card team and not have to go up against uh, either Florida or Tampa or maybe New York or Carolina, right? So if you're one of those teams, you're thinking, well, maybe we want to make, make a move earlier, right? Maybe we want to go and pick up our trade deadline acquisitions closer to now, maybe into February where we can then get 30 games out of them and try to move up the standings uh, instead of making those moves at the trade deadline, which is only about a month left in the season. Then you maybe only get, you know, 13 games. And a big part of that is just getting acquainted, getting chemistry going, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to bring in a big name uh, or even a complimentary piece, you want to give them as much time as possible to get into your lineups. So when playoffs come, you can be firing on all cylinders and hopefully win uh, some hockey games. Uh, and that leaves us with a couple of names floating around. Uh, both start with the letter M uh, mm -hmm. as the last name. Uh, and the first one I want to talk about is Tyler Mott. Because yes. Tyler Mott is someone I think we talked about um, a long time ago when we were talking about like just people who could be trade pieces. Yeah. Um, and Tyler Mott makes a lot of sense. He does. And by the way, uh, a great explanation on the Eastern Conference. What I heard, Parker, from all that is Toronto is going to have to play Tampa or Florida in the first round. That's what, that's what I heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, very possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's talk, yeah, let's talk about Tyler Mott. UFA, at the end of this season, he's been had a one-year contract here, two-year contract here, but he's making a very cheap $1.225 So if a team picks him up, they're they're paying him two or 300 grand to finish off the season. He can steady your bottom six for sure. He can kill penalties. He can hustle. We've already joked around that he never passes on a two-on-one, but that's okay. That's that's uh, that's one small fault. But aside from that, um, yeah, he'd be a very attractive player. I don't know how much of a salary he command if that, that's a tricky thing because isn't that I, everything I explained just now? Isn't that the kind of guy we want in our team? Or is this the time where we can, if we end up being sellers, we're certainly not going to be buyers. Rutherford has said so. Um, is this a chance to recoup an extra pick or an, an extra prospect? So tricky, always very tricky. Yeah. I think it's very dependent on the market uh, yeah. because I think you're looking at this team and you're thinking, okay, you could go out and you could sign Tyler Mott, you know, to maybe two years, 2 million bucks a year, right? Give him a nice raise. He's, mm -hmm. he's 
earned it. He's put his time in, you know, 1.75, right? A good, a good chunk of change to be a fourth line staple. Um, but he's 26. He'll be, you know, he'll be 27 in two months. Uh, so he'll be 27 by the end of the season, right? You might be talking about a guy who as a fourth liner, they fall off eventually, right? Um, a really good player at the age of 34 might now be like a, a middle six guy. Well, mm-hmm. if you're a bottom, if you're a bottom six guy and you hit, you know, 30, 31, well, there's always new guys pushing and trying to pull you out of that spot. Uh, and ideally in two years, maybe you have some fresh names coming up through the AHL to try to steal those fourth line spots. Um, uh. I think the big thing is the potential value that you could get for Tyler Mott, right? He's on an expiring deal. He's fairly replaceable, right? In free agency, he's the kind of guy that's usually around, right? Maybe not Tyler Mott exactly, but there's usually, I mean, look at how many guys the Canucks signed on at the start of free agency last year, like 28 guys on day one, right? Yeah, you can yeah. find guys like like Tyler Mott uh, at, that, at that point. But in the playoffs, he could be a really valuable piece, especially when we're talking about potential return, which could be, I mean, I saw some people saying, you know, it could be a third, um, but I mean, it could fetch something like a second. You look at the Barclay Goudreau deal yeah, a couple of years about, back yes. where, where yeah. he fetches a first. Um, and then I think he took like no money the next year for whatever reason. And then now he's not doing great. Um, <laughs> but if you could pull, if you could convince a team like, Hey, Tyler Mott is a player that in the playoffs, you will love to have. He's a good penalty killer. Uh, he he has the the skill to score a couple of goals for you. He has this crazy level of drive. He's so committed, and he will be a fan favorite for you. I mean, I think I think every team in the NHL would be lining up for a player like Mott. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Isn't so playing devil's advocate or, or adding another you know wrench to it? Isn't that type of player you want in your team though? Well, is it if if you're a team that probably isn't going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Which I think is the case this year. And if you do make the playoffs, you're not, they're not winning the cup this year. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, we just saw the teams that they played against like those teams. You, you put the Canucks in a seven game set with Florida. It is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's, and I don't think, I don't think the Canucks are winning the Stanley cup next year. So yeah. what you're going to, you're going to hold on to Tyler Mott until he's, you know, 30. Um, and then, you know, maybe his value drops, you end up getting nothing for him. But if you could get some like a second round pick and and try to restock those cupboards and and you know try to have a good uh, bunch of people moving up uh, within the organization and then go and replace Tyler Mott next year in free agency in July and pick up a fourth liner making one point two million dollars one point five million dollars and fill that hole in another way um, because they're not a contending team this year and I think that Tyler Mott is the perfect rental. Um, for a contending team. Yeah. And then you make a good point actually. And even 1.2, 1.5, whatever he might make 1.6 next year, whereas Lamico and Highmore make 750, which is almost Mm -hmm. half of that. Podkolz and Huglander, because they're ELCs, they make 900 grand. So you can get good players. And yeah, even within our organization, our favorite, Will Lockwood, Phil DiGiuseppe, there are other guys that make a million or less that could fill that spot and the incremental loss wouldn't be. Yeah. You're every dollar counts as, as we know. And if you can improve your team, you can spend that extra 500 grand on the blue line. You could find another, you know, put that into a bigger contract for another top six score, whatever you do, every dollar counts. So yeah, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. And I also like what you're saying about is Mott going to be here when the team's truly a contender. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I know that's going to be a big talking point for the next guy that we talk about is it's all about timing, isn't it? Yeah, and especially, again, it comes back to the payout, right? If we're talking yeah. like, oh, you can get a sixth-round pick for him, then why bother, right? Like, <laughs> just keep him. He likes to be here. You know, it's not worth uprooting his life. Um, but if we're talking like a second-round pick, I mean, sure, second-round picks don't hit all the time. They don't even mm-hmm. hit all that often, right? Mm-hmm. I'll just click on a random draft year. 2011, you go to the second round, eh, maybe half the guys play um, you know, pretty long careers, right? That's, yeah. that's not bad. If you can get a guy who's, you know, let's say you can get a guy like, uh, I don't know, Brandon sod was a second round pick in, in 2011. Um, uh, but then there's also guys like, you know, William Carlson, 
um nikita kucherov uh, <laughs> not saying that that's you know or you could get a guy like xavier roulette who who didn't play very much but um or magnus hellberg right it's a real you're you're basically buying lottery tickets and if you can yeah. get a pretty decent lottery ticket if you can get like a 30 percent chance at a decent nhler uh for a, a guy on an expiring contract who you probably won't have four years from now mm-hmm. um then why wouldn't you go for it yeah no, that's true. That's true. And I think bottom line, as much as we love him on the ice, as much as we definitely love him off the ice, your very first point, I think, is the strongest point, is he he is replaceable. As you could argue most people are replaceable. Not everyone, but most people are, especially on the Canucks, and he is one of them for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's get into the big one. Mm. Apparently, according to Frank Saravalli uh, of Daily Faceoff, he says that the New York Rangers seem to have a lot of interest in their former, <laughs> their former own <laughs> uh, JT Miller. Um, he also mentions that uh, he wonders if the Rangers are willing to part with prospects rather than just picks. Um, JT Miller has been uh, a topic of discussion for a long time. Uh, trade wise right for the last year uh, and it really comes down to again contending window uh, yeah. we're talking about a guy who will turn 29 in two months right so he'll be 29 turning 30 next year on the last mm-hmm. year of his contract uh, we're talking about a guy who is due for a big raise yeah. in my opinion we're talking about a guy who is uh, hanging around you know the top 10 top 20 in NHL scoring this year at a point per game uh, we're talking about a guy who has a lot of trade value that yes. probably won't have a lot of positive value with a new contract. And as his play declines, you know, two, three, four years from now, you trade him. If you trade him this season, and we, we talked about this before the team getting him gets a $5.25 million top 10 score. As you said, who can play center and the wing, all three positions, power play penalty kill, for two years, well, a year and a bit, but still, that's that's a pretty sweet salary. That's a pretty sweet deal. That's Absolutely. one of the best contracts in the NHL right now. Yep. Uh, and it, it genuinely is. We're talking about a point-per-game player, a guy who's on pace to score 80 points this year mm-hmm. at just over $5 bucks and $5 bucks next year. So if you're a contending team, I am, I am rolling out the red carpet. I'm saying, let's go. If we're going to go all in this year, let's go all in on JT Miller because guess what? We also get him as basically a rental next year, right? Yep. You get, you get, it's two, it's a two and one deal. You don't have to get, you don't have to get a guy this year. Ah, we didn't win the cup. All right. Next year's trade deadline. Again, we're giving away our first round pick to get another rental. You get yeah. two years out of this guy and yeah. you get all of next season. So that'll help in the standings. Uh, you're getting a guy who uh, seemingly works really well with his teammates. Uh, according to most reports, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, you know, he, he just always produces. We talk about this time where, uh, at the end of the Travis green era, era where nothing was clicking for anybody, but JT Miller still was getting a point per game. Like mm-hmm. he, even if when he didn't look good, he was still getting a point per game. He was still converting. Uh, we're talking the last three seasons. Uh, he is just under a point per game, right? We talked, uh, the three years he was with the Canucks, 72 points in 69 games. 46 yep. points in 53 and 38 points this year in 38 games. Uh, I, I genuinely think he is one of the most valuable players right now in the NHL, especially when you take that cap into account. So the real question is, is there enough value there that makes it worth getting rid of JT Miller? Sure. If Adam Fox is coming the other way, I'm just kidding. And yeah, they're not, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> um, but here's the thing, right? We're, I guess there's two parts to this question. Uh, Does JT Miller even make sense for this team? Uh, If we're talking about a team that probably isn't contending this year, right? Uh, And probably isn't contending next year either because they need some big pieces. They need defensemen more than anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have the goalie. They have some of the firepower. If Elias Pettersson bounces back, uh, but the, and they, but they only have really Quinn Hughes on the back end uh, and they need a partner for Quinn Hughes uh, and, and things along those lines. So if let's say generously, the Canucks are contending in, uh, 2023, 2024. Okay. Right. Let's say that we're talking about the 2024 
Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm-hmm. JT Miller's 31. So I think you're probably, he might have a year or two left around that point per game mark at that point. He's also probably making $8 million a year, right? That's a, a huge chunk of your cap. Uh, and he's probably making that $8 million for the next like six years after that, because I think he's probably getting a, he's probably getting six or seven year deal uh, at a really high number uh, when he does come out of this contract when he's 30. Um, is that, is that a piece that you want at that point? Or would you rather use that money somewhere else? Uh, you maybe use that money in free agency to pick up a defenseman, use that money to pay guys on your team that need contracts, right? Uh, by then Elias Pettersson's going to need a contract, right? Mm-hmm. Horvat, Besser, right? These are some, you know, some big names that are going to need, uh, to get paid. Um, and the return from the trade, you know, what yes. are you getting back? Right. Are you getting um, a really good prospect? Are you getting a first round pick and a prospect? Because I think you can get both. Because again, I think JT Miller is someone that you can shop around and I think you can get a bidding war going because every single team in the NHL should be in on this guy uh, if they are a, a contending team. Uh, I Again, I love Miller. I think it makes almost too much sense to be shopping him. <laughs> This is why being a GM is very difficult, Parker. This this is why they're taking so long to figure out who the next GM is going to be here because there are so many layers. Yes, whether it's the Rangers or any other team, you have to extract maximum value coming back because the immediate response is going to be, what? We're giving away our best player. We're giving our best player who's on our best contract. So then you're already trying to win the hearts, uh, convince your fan base that this is a good trade for you down the road. So I agree with that. The other thing is, and, and we've touched on it before, is we know that Besser's contract ends at the end of this season, and we know that Miller and Horvat's contract end at the end of next season. We know that Miller is going to want at least what Petey's getting. He's outplaying him almost two to one in terms of points. <laughs> so so you're starting at 7-5, basically, or 7-3-5, is what, but you're starting at 7-5, and that's why I think your your 8 million is, is very correct. Horvat's going to want between 7 and 8, Besser's going to want, he starts at seven and a half. So he's going to want between seven and eight. So what are you going to pay three guys, 23, $24 million between the, th- no, you can't, you can't. Yeah. So, the, yeah. the money just doesn't work. Yeah. So you got it. That's the thing, right? They're probably going to have to get rid of someone, whether that's JT Miller and the common names that are floated are JT Miller and Brock Besser, right? Yeah. Cause Brock yeah. Besser is great, but he's not really scoring at the level that he needs to be, to be, you know, like a top goal scorer in the league. So you're going to get rid of one of them. Well, uh, Besser's younger. You're probably getting similar returns. I Actually, you probably get a better return for Miller at this point, I would say, right? A point-per-game guy for a contending team is you know, a, is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes just way more sense in my mind to trade a guy like Miller uh, because, again, it really just comes down to how many years left do you see on uh, in that competitive window yeah uh and he just seems to be it seems to be almost too easy of a solution um if you're going for long-term gain and Bester's only 24 years old we, we you got to remember that he's yeah he's he's gonna enter the prime of his career and not be on the down and who knows it, it's so tricky it's so tricky because i agree with you that's that was my point is is I agree that Miller probably extracts the most for you right now on January 17th. Besser, obviously, as the youngest of those three guys we talked about, has the admittedly the most potential, but how do you value that now? And and you could argue that he's not playing up to 7.5, where Miller is completely outplaying 5.25. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is tough, man. This is tough. It and is so important. Tough. And so important, of course, obviously. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, we look at um, I mean, let's think about return here, right? Yeah. Uh, the Rangers are the team that that gets pointed out uh, by Frank Saravalli here. Um, I mean, I saw people online floating like Lafreniere's name, which seems crazy to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's let's hypothetical. You get offered Lafreniere for Miller one for one. What's your thought on that? Uh, Lafreniere for Miller. Was that oh, I should he's first overall pick, right? He was first overall pick in 2020. So we're literally talking a year and a half ago. First overall oh. pick. And he's only he's only in year two of his he's 20, but he hasn't he's been not good for the Rangers. 
right. uh, 21 points in 56 games last year in the shortened season, 11 points in 37 games this year. And I don't think he's even on their roster anymore. Uh, maybe he has COVID. I don't know what his, yeah, what, uh, yeah, what is non roster mean? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I haven't. Uh, I don't know what his uh, his current status is. Um, but either way, I mean, we're talking about a guy who um, was the best player in the Canadian Hockey League for a, a few good years, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think I closed his stats page here. Uh, but we're talking about a guy who scored uh, in his draft year 112 points in 52 games in the queue, right? 77 assists, 35 goals. Uh, the year his the year before he was drafted, 105 points. The year before that, so when he's like 16 years old, 80 points in 60 games. Um, he just hasn't adjusted well to the NHL. Uh, but man, that's a gamble I'm willing to take. I am. Uh, one for one, it, it sounds risky now because of the, his uh, laughing years, not so impressive stats. But I, I just looked up JT Miller's stats. Uh, and in his first full season, he had a point every three games, 23 and 58. Then the second full season, he was up to half a point a game, 43 and 82. Mm-hmm. So Lafreniere is a bit behind that right now, but it's so he's still, he's only 20 years old. You said, right? Man. Yeah. Yeah. He's October, 2001 uh, birthday. So I think. Yeah. The thing is, you know, would the Rangers do that? I don't know. I, I think, you know, he's a really valuable piece um for them and I, I see lots of people who who wouldn't do it online which is which is kind of surprising to me because i mean we're talking about a a, a kid who's had two kind of rough years uh yeah. with the rangers um most people in our chat park are saying do it you do you do that yeah. one for one yeah yeah now let's say the rangers wouldn't do it but so maybe the canucks have to add what what if you want miller and mott why not Right again. I'm at the point where I mean, if I if you're getting a, a guy like Lafreniere, I mean, his ceiling. If he if he pulls it together and and is looking like he did in the queue, mm-hmm. I, we're talking about an 80 point player, right? Yep. Like a, a player with a real potential high ceiling. Uh, I think uh, I mean, I think you do that. Who's uh, nine years younger than the guy we're trading away? Yes. Yeah. Now Kai yeah. makes a good point. The Rangers have a lot of defensive prospects, um, and so you know you you should get a defensive prospect in that trade, right? Uh, Condre Miller is a name that's yep. floated around. Uh, I think Heedle is a name that gets floated a bit. Um, was that how you say his name? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, man, like, yeah, again, so a guy like Condre Miller, I think they want him in their lineup uh, for the playoffs. Yeah. I think that we're talking about a guy who's maybe a little bit less, uh, who's not maybe in the roster at yeah. that point. Uh, I mean, if he's on the table, sure. Miller for Miller, let's make that move. But I think the Rangers <laughs> might have to add, because again, I think every team in the NHL should be in on this, right? Like every contending team, right? There should be there should be ten teams making that phone call, um, and I think you can get a good bidding war going. Oh, absolutely. Um, so if we're talking about you know it, it, whether it's Lafreniere, which would be crazy, uh, if it's Keandre Miller and maybe you know like a second or a third or whatever, um, again, I think you're adding uh, a lot of value for the long term. Um, as long as you can get that value, that's really what yeah. it comes down to. Because if you can get good value, uh, you can make a trade that's mutually beneficial for both teams, right? Mm-hmm. You're, give, you're giving them a player who's going to make them really good now, and you're getting a player who's going to make the Canucks really good in the future. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just sort of a win-win all around. Yep. And the Rangers obviously in a better position to win now, and they still have a, a pretty deep prospect pool. But yeah, as people said, it's nice to think about it, but if you're the Rangers you're 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 right parker you you don't go one for one laughing year for miller you have to ask for more back from the canucks and that's why you mentioned uh okay fine miller and mott isn't this fun just to spitball yeah see <laughs> speculation's the best i this is <laughs> why do we why do we make videos about the, what the team's actually doing let's just let's just let's just make things up that's well who else can we trade uh let's trade oh what can we get for Pedersen? yeah okay have fun with that <laughs> one uh <laughs> Yeah, I uh <laughs> I think uh it's a fun it's a fun conversation. Yeah, um yeah. we were going to spend some time previewing the games this week. Uh let's do that in let's take 30 seconds to do that. Okay, uh, you do one game, I'll do the other one. Canucks at Nashville tomorrow, 5 p.m. Nashville, one of the best power plays in the NHL, fourth best power play. Uh Canucks special teams are going to have to bring it. Uh 5 p.m. game, nice early start, uh which means you get to go to bed early. 
Uh, and if they win this game, like I said, the road trip then becomes pretty good Two, uh, four points in five games against five of the best teams, in the NHL top 10 teams. I think you take that. I think what we focus more on is if they are the better team and they win, uh, then that's big uh, because then it shows that four of those five games, they were the better team uh, and they really have a chance to push hard. Florida. Good. Yes. Then the Canucks return home. Finally, their first home game after nine straight road games. 50% attendance likely. That's what we're expecting from the announcements or non-announcements for Dr. Bonnie Henry tomorrow. So let's presume the Canucks do play. They host Florida, a team that they lost, as we talked about, to last to start the road trip just this week. Um, Going to be a tough game, but the Canucks have played well at home. In, in fact, beating Carolina in December, in mid-December. So they can hang with the top teams, especially at, on Rogers Arena Ice. So that should be a fun one. And then, of course, two days later, they play another good team, one that we haven't seen in a while, in the St. Louis Blues, our old friend Jordan Binnington on Sunday night. So those are the three games we have this week. Parker, what's your prediction for – I know we were both – we shot a little high, admittedly, on the road trip because we're optimists. What says you for these three games? They go two and one. Uh, they beat Nashville handily tomorrow. <laughs> uh, they, they lose a, a tight one, 6-5 to Florida on Friday. Uh, and then it, they and St. Louis comes here and Jordan Bennington gets pulled halfway through the second period. <laughs> Love it. I will see your two and one and I'll raise it to a two Oh and one. They're going to get a point out of Florida in a losing cause. Like it. All right. Um, let's take two quick questions. Cause we always have to take at least a couple of questions. <laughs> um, any, let's see if we can find a couple. I, I forgot to be starring them, uh, as I went, um, scrolling quickly. Uh, yeah, quick chance guys get a quick question and we're going to take two of them uh, two questions it. that is all that is all yes uh, i agree jaster and that pd will snipe one on bennington i would love that yes i uh, i agree uh <laughs> man i hope bennington gets mad i like it when bennington's mad me too that guy kind of sucks <laughs> that's my opinion <laughs> that's my hot take uh you going into games 50 percent capacity I'm yes, I am actually scheduled to go to both Friday and Sunday. Sunday is nice. my own tickets and Friday is uh is was gifted to me. So I'm gonna be at both actually. Sweet. I will be at home. Awesome. I'll be comfortable here. Yeah, and safer uh, in the game. Yes. <laughs> uh Stooge is predicting one, one, and one. That's um, fair. Uh Jeff with the big yes. question. Will the Canucks catch the Oilers? We didn't really talk about the rest of the uh about the division. Uh, man, we the do Oilers lost week. to the the Oilers lost to the Sens. Uh, was that yeah. yesterday, two days ago? Yeah, um, they have awesome. lost six in a row. The Flames have lost four in a row. Do they catch the Oilers? I mean, if they win tomorrow, they will be ahead of the Oilers in the standings. Yeah, it's Parker, literally you know that simple. And you know what's funny? We spent a few streams back to back talking about oh, it's gonna be Vegas, Calgary, and Edmonton because Anaheim's gonna drop, and we'll catch the. The other California teams. You know who's uh, number two, number three right now in our division? Yeah, and number four. It's all three California teams. Yeah. As the Sharks uh, took LA down a peg. I mean, Timo Meyer uh, with his five goal day uh, took LA wow. down a peg today. But yeah, uh, it's not going to be a cakewalk. But you know, you got it. You are going to have to get past three of these teams, basically, uh, maybe four of them, and uh, at least the Flames and Oilers are are setting up to make it uh, at least a little bit interesting. Yeah. And you can, uh, Christian Morris is very quickly because it's, it's timely about, yeah. What predators player I've always liked Philip Forsberg, although he makes 6 million and he's a UFA at the end of this year, but I've always liked Forsberg game. And of course, you know, they yeah, they're not going to get rid of him though. Cause he's no. there. Yep. I mean, he's there, he's there. He's a big part of their, of their roster yes. um, right now. I mean, you could look at a guy uh, like Tolvanen or Tomasino, right. Two really mm -hmm. young guys who are really good uh, who haven't again, they were a lot more hyped up than maybe they had. I mean, maybe I don't think, yeah, Tomasino was a 24th overall pick. Tolvanen was a 30th overall pick, um, 22 years old and 20 years old, uh, each of them. Um, so I, I think, you know, those could be names uh, involved again. I think the Canucks should be looking more defensively. You look at a guy, yeah. maybe like Dante Fabro, uh, is in, is sort of in the mix there. Although I think he's getting, he's averaging, you know, 19 minutes a night for them. I don't think they'll want to get rid of him going into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a lot of, uh, knowledge on what their, uh, what their prospects, uh, look like. It looks like they have, um, they took a guy named Fedor Svechkov and Zachary <laughs> Leroux, 
yeah. in the first round this year. So maybe a couple of those guys. Um, yeah. yeah. But you're right. A lot of their forwards are quite old too, or older. Duchesne, Cousins, Forsberg, yeah. Granlin, Johansson. They're they're all quite old. Yeah. Not a lot of. Yeah. I don't know much about their prospects either, but we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll we'll watch see what they say on the broadcast tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. If you aren't already hit subscribe, hit like, uh, and you can follow both of us. Uh, I'm Parker's pucks on YouTube and Twitter. He's Canuck clay on YouTube and Twitter. Uh, it's all linked down below. If you missed any part of the show, uh, cause I can see the graph always rises throughout it. So I know most <laughs> of you weren't here at the start. Uh, feel free to rewind back to the beginning here on YouTube, or if you want to catch it later, it'll be uploaded on your favorite podcast platform in about 30 minutes. Uh, so you can just type in Canucks after dark, uh, and you'll find it there. I think it's also linked in the description. So Spotify, Apple podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, Clay, any parting words? Yeah, just a lot to, uh, a lot of stuff that's going to happen in the next little bit, maybe a new GM, find out about restrictions or not on our home game and find out how good we really are when uh, we get back from this crazy road trip. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys very much for hanging out with us. We'll be back of course, next Monday and we'll see you then.